95. Pulse 95 Live from the Sharjah International Book Fair at the Expo Centre Sharjah. Good afternoon, everyone, and we are right here back in Sharjah International Book Fair live from Pulse 95. We've got a very special guest with us right here, and we're pretty much excited to interview him, Mr. Joseph Galata, who was previously the Arts and Education Director at the Circle of Life host base foundation and uh, he was able to sh uh, and we were able um, we were able to have him in uh, our pulse 90 pie studio and we're pretty much excited to start the interview well first of all I have to say I love your accent thanks a lot but uh, <laughs> but you were asking me how I feel about this book fair and all I could come up with is one word which is impressive I am just blown away with impressiveness when I walk through these doors for the second time and a tsunami of grand of, of school children <laughs> just nearly knocked me off my feet because <laughs> their excitement about being surrounded by 1.5 million books is just so magnificent. It is indeed uh, an, an excitement that's absolutely palpable, uh, even just listening uh, to the sounds and noises coming in from the studio outside. Uh, Joseph, uh, I'm very, very interested in what you do in terms of uh, using performance arts to help people heal, uh, to help people cope with their situation. So uh, why don't you just tell everybody what you do? And, and how you use uh, performing arts in that, in that purpose. I'm an arts and media education specialist, and I design programs, um, television, radio, podcasts, uh, international speaking, theater, that deals with all of the arts, whether it's dance, music, cultural arts, literature, photography, painting, um, and use it to teach families uh, with a focus on children how to heal from grief. Everybody, Everybody experiences grief in their life journey, whether it's grief from a, a, a death of someone you love, whether it's a grandparent or a parent or a goldfish, mm -hmm. you know, a, a dog that you love, or whether it's a divorce, or whether you lose your job, or your best friend moves away. Um, grief is, is, is something that almost can paralyze us if it's not dealt with in a very creative way. So for my early years, I grew up in international theater and dance companies and then I became a um, faculty member at a state university in a medical clinic where I, for 23 years, trained doctors, nurses, counselors, therapists, social workers how to use the arts mm -hmm. to heal children. Uh, I worked as a specialist in a government agency uh, with kids from all over the United States plus all over the world who are refugees. And if you're a refugee kid, you're 12 years old and you're displaced mm -hmm. from Yemen or Ethiopia or Vietnam or Mexico in the United States, you are in grief because it's culture shock, your rejections. Uh, then I was, you mentioned hospice. Um, I was the ex executive director, CEO of working with dying children and using art uh, so they didn't die. And I'll tell you a story if you want me later. Please. Yes. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll interrupt right now with you. <laughs> Let's get um, into yeah. it. There was a, a young man who was born, uh, his name was Cody, and he was born with a very rare disease called Epidomolosis bullosa. We call them the butterfly children because they are born with practically no skin and they are rejected. I mean, who wants to see a kid with no skin? They're bandaged 24 hours a day and they don't live past the age of 15. So when he became my patient, my client, I was outraged that some people in the medical profession and in the education profession had him um, come to a studio and put him in his little underwear 
and, have, and photograph and videotape him about what a diseased kid he is, a dying diseased kid. I was outraged. What kid wants to be remembered like that? I discovered that he could draw. Amazing. He could draw. So we started him drawing, and he loved the actor Johnny Depp from Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean. Yes. So he would write, uh, draw all these pictures of Johnny Depp, and I would send it to Johnny Depp. Mm -hmm. And Johnny Depp would send a message back saying, love it, loved it, you're <laughs> so good. Then we started entering his artwork in little kids' competitions, and he was winning first place. And then I brought him to my city and into my radio, my TV studio, and surrounded the audience with artists. He died not with the identity of a dying child, diseased. He died believing he was a kid as an artist. And he died in bed, surrounded by his paints and colors and drawings and papers while eating an ice cream cone. <laughs> but he, was remem he died being remembered as an artist kid. So those are the kind of things that I've done. And in the last 13 years, I've really focused on kids that are abused, abandoned, neglected in the American child welfare system because they don't have the opportunity to learn to be creative. And as I've taught every single one of my students, and it was mandatory that they memorized it, you have a choice in life. You can be creative or you can be destructive, but you can't be both in the same lifetime. So that's what I do. It's amazing, quite amazing to be honest. Thank I've you. been touched by the story, to be honest. Yeah, it's a very, very lovely story. Thank you. Yeah, very moving, mo moving story indeed. Can you, can you tell me what it is about art that 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 almost gets people going? Uh, like for me personally as well, um, uh, something like a, a good book, it, it it would make me feel less alone. Uh, and if mm -hmm. somebody really makes something that's real and and resonates with me in that way, that would almost almost make me want to keep going on. I think that's what art does for me. So maybe if you can touch on that as well, the importance of it. I love what you just said because I was uh, in Arizona doing a radio call-in show and someone called me in and said, did I think that cancer or AIDS was the worst disease in the world? And I said, no, the worst disease in the world is the disease we call loneliness. Mm. And so when people are lonely, I suggest delve into the arts, whether it's book or music or whatever. Like here, you have hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of thousands of people walking around here. They've all experienced loneliness. Who hasn't? They've yeah. all experienced grief. But look, they're grabbing onto a book because art tell stories and that's who we are as human beings we are storytellers when especially again when you're working with the dying when you're working with the dying all they have are memories i do a lot of work with alzheimer's and people think oh the memory's gone no maybe they can't remember who you are at the moment but they can remember when they were four years old or eight years old we are storytellers and we collect stories and whether it's dance or music or painting or photography or books it's about stories we collect stories and those stories enhance our life stories that's amazing um can you can you tell us or give us a piece of advice to the listeners on how to handle grief in your yes way? you know there are people think that I, I, I get very upset to tell you the truth when I hear that people have lost somebody especially like through suicide mm -hmm. or through uh, violence and what you hear a great deal on American media is people will say what we want is closure mm -hmm. there is no closure to grief mm -hmm. I had a brother who, who shocked us by committing suicide we will never know why mm -hmm. so there is no closure 
So grief is ongoing. It just comes in spurts. Mm -hmm. It could be um, someone you lost 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and you're just driving your car, listening to music, and suddenly you start crying. So grief comes in spurts. What I suggest when people are in grief is to add a sister component, which is called mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, mm -hmm. mourning. Grief, we say, is private. Grief is something that you, nobody can understand what's in your heart, the pain. But mourning is getting together and using rituals and traditions and cultural arts mm -hmm. to celebrate that person's life or to grieve together. I don't know how it is here in UAE, and again, I'm gonna say this. Uh, from my research into the health system of UAE, Dubai, Sharjah, the art system, the education system, this country is a role model, could be a role model. I say that not to be complimentary. I say that to be totally honest who travels the world and deals with dysfunctional governments. This is not a dysfunctional government. This is a government that enhances and empowers people. That's how I see it. But, so, but in America, we have lost this gift of, of mourning together. People die and you don't have ceremonies, you don't have funerals, you don't have, you know, you don't have this, this opportunity to grieve with each other, to listen to music together, mm -hmm. to make videos about someone and have a funeral and a memorial service. You know, I was doing a um, theater play I wrote and I had a bunch of actors and singers and it was called Papa Come Dance With Me Again. Mm -hmm. And what I did is I played the actor uh, I played a uh, children's television host who has Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And it was a one-hour show with music and dance and costumes. And one performance, we had a thousand people in the audience from all over the world who either were nurses and doctors for people with Alzheimer's or were the mothers and fathers. And what I told them after the show, because that's what the show was about, we had a workshop. And I said, you have to go and find their stories. And so we had a man who came up to me and said, my father is 80 years old. He was just diagnosed with Alzheimer's. He comes and goes. He doesn't remember me. Sometimes he does. He said, I don't know how to handle it. And I said, get his stories. What was his favorite piece of music? What was his favorite music? What did he do in high school? Who was his best friend? You know, what television shows does he like? How did he celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah? You know, how did he deal with all of this stuff? What are his stories? I get, he had my email address. About three months later, he emailed me and said, I'm sure you don't remember me, but I'm the man with, whose father. He said, what I did was I got on social media and I would ask my father sitting next to me to talk to me his stories about when he was a teenager in high school. That was 60 years ago. But he kept using the same name. Oh, we were in the drama class together. Oh, we were in theater together. Oh, we went to the library together. He, and so I figured out who his best friend was. I got on social media, Facebook, and I found him. And I connected with him. And I didn't think my father would remember him, but the guy actually bought an airplane ticket and flew to our city. And when he walked in our house, my father recognized him. Wow. And my That's father amazing. thought they were back in high school, just for 45 minutes, he said. And then my father went back into the world of, of no memory mm -hmm. stuff, per se. But for 45 minutes, he thought he was back in high school. That's the power of, of mourning together. You know, even before his father died, they mourned together. They created rituals. They created traditions. I think you do it here in UAE because you have such a wide population. Mm -hmm. um, but 
that is my, my advice about healing from grief is find those stories and express mm. it. You know, be creative about it. Be creative. Why do you think people lost that? Because we live in a society where we don't know one another and we don't much care. And I hate to be negative about that. That, you know, there, there are a lot of benefits to social media, mm -hmm. but there are a lot of detriments. For instance, I was just writing a grant proposal yesterday. People ask me what my degrees are in. I say begging, you know, I beg <laughs> for money. Um, but um, I was doing research yesterday and I was writing a grant proposal. And so real quickly, in America, not, I don't know how it is here, but in America, elementary school aged children, the kids I see here at the fair, eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old, in America, those kids spend, each one spends an average of four hours a day on TikTok and social media. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Teenagers, eight hours a day on frivolous media. Adults, up to 12 to 14 hours. What are people learning from all of this? They're, they're, they're learning, you know, we, I watch something on, I don't watch it, but I, my, my business partner, my creative partner, uh, he studies all of this. And so he's a brilliant artist, graphic designer. He does all of my podcasts, my children's artwork. We were writing a book last night with people and he was doing the artwork. And, uh, but so he follows, he studies all of this as a, as a graphic designer, as a painter, as a video producer. Mm. And he was showing me this morning TikTok of some man who has to be in his 50s mm -hmm. just standing in front of a camera with a woman's wig on, with a bathing suit, swimsuit on, dancing. <laughs> and he has like 1.2 million followers. Well, maybe that's art to somebody or maybe somebody's in grief and they're watching it and they're laughing. I don't know. <laughs> All I know is, is that we've lost this ability for uh, uh, of using the arts to relax, mm -hmm. to express ourselves joyfully, beautifully, you know. Uh, but movies are so violent. I hate to say that. Mm. Absolutely. Where yes. is the beautiful movies that we once saw from the 1930s and 40s in Hollywood? You know, where is the beauty of all this? You go to the theater. I saw here in Sharjah, Sharjah you have two theater companies. One, a children's theater company. Mm -hmm. Tell me, I am so impressed. <laughs> I am moving here, right? <laughs> Where's the beauty? Theater, children's theater still does beauty. Mm -hmm. But really, honestly, if you go like to New York City, and you pay $500 for a ticket to a Broadway show that's filled with vulgar language and violence, you don't walk out feeling <laughs> empowered. You don't Absolutely. walk out feeling enriched. Yeah. My son, who first came here to Dubai, uh, he's a soccer player, so he's coming back to Qatar and then here um, for the World Cup. When he came first to, Suba from, to Dubai, he said, Dad, you must go there. It is the place on earth of beauty. So he was doing soccer last month in Spain and Portugal and Greece, and they went to London and they went, he, he took a bunch of soccer guys, athlete, athletes who had never been to a live theater, mm -hmm. and he took them to see the Broadway musical in London, The Lion King. Yeah. And he said, Dad, when you saw these top-notch athletes who never been in a theater sitting there crying wow, because really. of the beauty they saw. Amazing. See, my son was raised with it. You know, but he was astounded there. So that's why, if we could just go back to saying the arts are the means and channels for creating beauty. And again, I take it into grief. Uh, when people are diagnosed with cancer, that is a horrible thing when you're sitting there and the doctor says, there's not much we can do, or you have six months, yeah. right? What do I tell them? 
I say indulge in the arts. Go and write a book. Write your story. Take a bunch of pictures. Take pictures from your childhood and put them together as a collage. Write poems. My cousin, who just same age as me, who just died of cancer, she spent her last six months taking rocks from the streets and the gardens and paints and just sitting. And when she would get depressed and scared, she would paint rocks, paint flowers on rocks. Amazing. See, that's the beauty yeah. of it. That's the beauty of it all. You know, well, Joseph, I really like the, the distinction you made as well uh, between you know, the meaningful arts and, and the, the, the frivolous stuff we see. But you, you, you get a sense, too, that you know, everybody, at least a lot of people I talk to, you know, they're going to go home, they have a Netflix show to catch up on. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of this stuff is um, escapist. Uh, some people like to watch superhero movies. It's almost like they're trying to get away from reality. Uh, and yeah, like you said, the, the, those the, the contents to be rather violent or excessive in some way or another. It's almost not in any way, shape, or form uh, related to what we truly experience as well. Uh, when you when you when, when you talk about arts in, in a way that, that helps people uh, cope with uh, grief and, and, and what they go through in the world, uh, what's the importance of, of, of dealing with things in a sort of head-on way as opposed to? escapist uh, uh, media and such, if that's, that, that question mm -hmm. makes sense. You know, but you use the word reality. That's one of the scary parts to me is people get on those movies on social media that you're talking about, yeah. those television shows, which I have examined as so, so many are so violent. They're about drugs, they're about abuse, they're right. about crime and the vulgarity. You know, look at these books here. They're beautiful language in yeah, Italian, yeah. in Arabic, in English, <laughs> in Japanese. The, the lang language is beautiful. So the beauty of, of what you just said to me is you can use the arts as reality. You can use beauty as reality. I travel the world. Mm -hmm. I have worked with refugees, with Syria. I was just in Turkey. There's over one million Syrian refugee kids there who work in lemon fields and onion fields 13 hours a day. You know, we were, I was meeting with psychiatrists and social workers about how to bring the arts to them. Mm -hmm. How just for one day they could do cultural dancing, cultural storytelling because you can use the arts as reality. Mm -hmm. Those movies and all that, that's not reality. But when you have a child sitting here, of all these kids here at this book fair, and one of them goes home tonight, and instead of turning on Netflix or, or TikTok or whatever all of that stuff is, when they go home, what if they went to their bedroom and they wrote a poem? Mm -hmm. Or they read one of the books, or they did a drawing? You know, I was just meeting with two people here from the Sharjah Arts Foundation. Mm -hmm. I am so blown away by what they do here in Sharjah, teaching children art and classes, writing, animation, storytelling. Uh, so that to me is reality. Yeah. All that other stuff, you know, we have, in, in, I don't think you have it here, at least I hope not, but in America you're probably very well aware that we have a major uh, pandemic besides COVID, and that is school violence, school shootings. Right, yes. Mm -hmm. And so, what my, my research has shown, what my theory has shown, having worked with 25,000, 30,000 of these kids, is that they are, these kids who go in and shoot people uh, without mercy, it's just beyond comprehension, but it happens constantly does, in America. Yes. Is what my studies show is that these kids, and most of them are kids, mm -hmm. 18, 19, 20 years old, they suffer from what I call social disconnection. They are disconnection, disconnected from society. They're alienated. Yeah, and then what happens is they go into another stage I call, called ambivalent relationships. Recently, and I don't mean to be judgmental, a young man who was just sentenced to life imprisonment at the age of 19 for shooting 20 some kids in an elementary school, his parents said we didn't know he had guns. 
Well, that's what I call an ambivalent relationship. You're living in a home that your own parents <laughs> don't know. Don't know. Yeah. And so then what happens? You become socially isolated and you get onto these violent things, these websites, these groups. And then you have at the end more what I call moralistic aggression, violence, violence. But if you they would go into the arts, and, and here, I think you do arts all over your schools, but in America, and I sound judgmental, I'm just honest, because I fight this, I work with this. In schools, the arts are the first programs to go when it's budget cuts. Mm -hmm. We cut out music. You know, I was, I'll give you a good example. We had a, a sad example. Um, I had a young lady who was 16 who was in what we call the foster care system. Mother was a drug addict, father was in prison. Um, she, goes from, she goes into our child welfare system, home to home to home to home. It's not unusual to be eight years old and you're in eight different homes in one year. Where do you learn loyalty? Where do you learn trust? But we had a girl that was 16 years old and she just wanted to dance. And the government wouldn't give any money to her foster parents. So I paid, my organization paid for her. Every Saturday, every Saturday she went to dance class. Wow. And I, we bought her the costumes for her first recital. She was something special. I sit here in your radio studio. You know what I did? I did a program for 22 weeks. On a Saturday morning at seven o'clock, I took teenagers, three here, five here, eight here, and I brought them into the radio studio and they all had an assignment for the week. Our theme was preventing violence against kids with disabilities and they had to interview kids who have been bullied mm -hmm. because of being blind or mental health or something. But each kid, besides learning how to ask them questions, be a journalist, they had to, during that week, one of them or two of them had to come up and write a one-minute monologue where they portrayed themselves as actors with that uh, disability. Oh, wow. And I paid them each $10 every time they came, <laughs> so they felt professional. You know where some of those kids are now? This was years ago. I lied to you. Some of those kids have master's degrees wow. in Amazing. nursing. They have master's degrees in criminal justice. They have master's degrees in art. I'm, I'll tell you this real fast. I had a young, my cell phone's private. One Saturday morning, I had a telephone call from this girl, woman. And I said, what? She said, don't you remember me? I was your student 32 years ago. Wow. I said, my big question is, how did you get my cell phone number? <laughs> she said, you know, I was a juvenile delinquent. I still know how to do all of this stuff. She said, I said, okay, why are you calling me? Of course I remember you. She said, when the school wanted to kick me out for being violent, when the school wanted to kick me out for my drugs, you fought for me, you fought for me. You put me in your dance company. You made me do anti-drug dances, anti-drug uh, monologues. She said, you fought for me. I said, okay, yeah, I remember you. I'm, are you happy? She said, I have my PhD in nursing wow. and I am on my way to New York City to give a talk on the arts and nursing and tell my life story. And I was sitting here and I was thinking of writing my speech and I thought, for 32 years, I would think about you and I would think some of the things you said to me made no sense. And I was just sitting here thinking, but he did make sense, mm -hmm. he did make sense. So the, there's the power, that's the reality. That's the beauty of the reality. You have here in the Middle East, not so much UAE, but in the Middle East, you have a really real big problem with health in the way of obesity. Mm -hmm. I will tell you one last story. We had, I put on a big show at Christmas and um, I had a mother bring her 12 year old son who weighed 400 pounds. And he saw kids up on stage dancing and he kept saying, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. And I had 10 kids 
in a show, in one of the numbers, who were all in wheelchairs. And he said, if they could dance in wheelchairs, I could dance too. He's now 21 years old. For nine years, he goes to dance classes. And you know what? He's 21 years old now. He still dances. He's danced in the Olympics wow. opening ceremony. And he's down to like 210 pounds. He'll never be skinny, skinny. But dance saved his life. And his physician said, dance has saved his life. Not all the medications, not all the therapy. It was dance that saved his life. So absolutely wonderful listening to the, the power of the arts as well and helping people and just the role you play in people's lives and the amount of people you've helped. It's so incredibly moving. Thank you for, for sharing those stories with us. Well, thank you. And I just would say I am so blessed because I am surrounded by great people. Like Amjad here, who is my graphic designer and artist and uh, my videographer at home. I have a lot of my employees are students at the School of Medicine. You know, they are studying to be doctors, doctors, but they work with me in using the arts with the kids in their homes. I send them to their homes and work with these kids and I pay them $25 an hour. And these are, and, but these are people studying to be doctors who are learning the beauty of the arts. But thank you for letting me come here. It's thank just you so such much. a joy. And I just love Sharjah. Thank, <laughs> thank you, you so thank much you. for joining and us. And Dubai. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Absolute delight. Uh, that was Joseph Galata talking to us about the uh, power uh, of the arts uh, to help people uh, no matter what they are going through. Uh, stay tuned to Pulse95 because up next, Rania is going to join us uh, on the program telling us about what to do at the Expo Center today and the coming days as well right here on Pulse95.